0: In part two of our Identity Outside of Fostering series, we cover traps to avoid and how our self-perception shapes how we communicate. That's coming up next.
1: Welcome to the Fostering Marriage Podcast, a podcast devoted to helping you keep your marriage the priority and making fostering fit into it, not the other way around.
0: So, hey, guys, in the last episode, part one, uh, I interviewed my lovely wife, Mary Beth, on lots of stuff uh, that hopefully you all found valuable and insightful. Um, I do, because when I ask these questions, I always learn new things about you or there's things that we've never talked about when we set up these shows and then when I talk to you about stuff, like live on a podcast as we're I recording totally it.
1: totally changed what I was going to say. You
0: know, we, I was like, oh, i actually learned something new about you. It's so fun what happens when you, you like think through this stuff and ask questions. So today we're getting into some of the deeper things concerning identity. And we want to shed light on some of the traps or the dangers of how we see ourselves. And, and, that, and why is to help us all make better decisions in our lives and make better decisions, especially in our marriages. Um, because as we all know, it's like in the closest relationships in our life, um, it's our the closest people to us sometimes experience the worst parts of us. Um, I know I've experienced that. You know, I think about like, man, ways that I've communicated with you in the past. Um, I wouldn't have communicated with anybody. Else that way in those poor ways. And so much of it has to do with how I viewed myself, especially back in the day when I was contributing to conflict in, in many, many ways. And you don't realize that when you're in it. But, you know, in other words, like sometimes family gets the worst of us, you know?
1: Sad, but true.
0: <laughs> this is. And we're going to get into today and shedding a little bit of light into why that is. So we're going to approach this from the perspective, again, as we did last time, as more of the stay-at-home parent or the parent that's really struggling with this, I feel like my identity is nothing but fostering or my identity is nothing but parenting. And everywhere you go, you find yourself talking about fostering and parenting. And you're that person that's like, you know what? I would really like to talk about something else other than my kids Mm -hmm. right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. have you ever been in that place? Oh
1: my gosh, so many times, so many times. Even on date nights, sometimes we'll be like, Okay, we're we're done talking about children now.
0: <laughs> I know because it's that's where we drift to. It's the yeah. common denominator. And but we find ourselves doing that when we're not prepared for date night. Yeah. And people are like, prepared for date night? Like, what does that even mean? Oh, it's, I make him prepare. <laughs> <laughs> dance. Dance, dance. And I do. I have all my funky dance moves that are um uh, would be normally very embarrassing, but they're apparently they just make you laugh. It's like we need to prepare I don't for this stuff. Easily. You know we need to we need to we need to prepare for these things and be very intentional, even about things like date night. But that's not what this episode is about. But again, we're going to approach it from that perspective. If you're not that that parent or that that spouse who's at home like drowning in parenting or struggling with this kind of thing, listen for what is applicable to you because it's, it's still going to relate to you because we're talking about identity, which is something that everyone has and everyone can struggle with. And so it's still going to be very educational. Or if you're that spouse that is, listen for things where you can support your spouse better. If you're not the one struggling with finding like your identity is nothing but fostering or your identity is nothing but parenting, you're going to pick up a lot of insight perhaps into how your spouse is thinking and the stuff that they're struggling with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think one of the big things is comparing yourself to your spouse. As the stay-at-home parent, I mean, I definitely had moments of, you get to go to work, you get to do this, I used to get to do those things. You know, and there's this comparison thing that goes on, and that can lead to jealousy, bitterness, it can lead to resentment. And all that does is bring conflict to your marriage.
0: You know, it's interesting how this stuff can show up because... You may be feeling those things like when you're like you're at home as you're sitting there chopping up blueberries and cheese for a kid and you're thinking these thoughts about, oh, my spouse is at work. And like you're working yourself up Mm -hmm. into anger and bitterness and then you get over it in that moment and then your spouse comes home hours later and all of a sudden you're lashing out or you're defensive or you're snarky. Uh, Or you're just straight up controlling.
1: Or they're talking about their day and you're like, as if that's all that big of a deal. You know, just those attitudes of.
0: Of unhealth. Yes. It's really what it comes down to.
1: So another thing that can trip us up is comparing yourself to your former life before marriage or before kids, before fostering, whatever that is that you're like, man, that was so great. You know, we never remember the bad things in those moments, do we? We're just like, "Oh, I loved working there. I loved getting out of the house." And this is going to lead to nothing good. Depression maybe, anger, shame, feelings of unworthiness. I'm just I'm just stuck at home. I'm not I don't even contribute in a meaningful way. I mean, there's just these really negative feelings that can can come up when you start thinking about this is what was, and this was so much better.
0: Yeah, you can hear in this how you're viewing yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like you you were lowering your sense of identity or you're or you're turning it into something that's bad, yeah, because you're beating yourself up, you're you are this is all starting to shape your identity. That's why we wanted to hit these traps because because we need to bring light and labels to the stuff that actually is involved in our identity. It's not as simple as just oh this is who i am yeah it's the, we're talking about psychology and emotions here and that matters immensely or we're talking about the more complicated things of thinking and the way that our mind works so we're wanting to shed light on this because this is sometimes the hidden stuff that's going on inside of us that manifests itself in a lash out yeah and your spouse isn't thinking oh wow well, I'm not taking that personally. You're just having an identity crisis right now. <laughs> Gosh, I feel sad for you. What can I do to help you?
1: You know, maybe there's a really, really healthy spouse out there that's that that is the dots, that on, the connects fly like the dots that. on the fly and has no, no feelings of being hurt at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. Probably not. But we want to shed light on this and talk about this stuff today to increase our self-awareness. That this is the machine that is running on the inside of many people. And this affects your marriage dramatically because it leads to contributions to conflict. It leads to hurt. It leads to disunity in your marriage and it leads to isolation. Um, and it takes it, this, this is the kind of stuff that leads many couples down to separation and divorce, it's because they can't get a handle on how they communicate with each other or they can't get a handle on their behaviors and there's no hope anymore. And eventually it's a, well, then there's nothing more we can do. Then now we've got to actually separate and divide the family, which sometimes like when I'm counseling people or couples, this is the stuff that's going on underneath the surface that is contributing to all of the problems that are leading to hope and despair in the marriage. That's why, I mean, I, well, I'm just pounding this right now. Like, that's why we're hitting this because identity has everything to do with how you show up in your marriage. So this is such a powerful thing to have perspective on is this comparison to your former life. And you don't even have to be married to do this. You can just get to adulthood and look back and be like, man, I remember when I was, I was it in high school. Like I was, you know, if you're the, I was the popular kid, the athlete, the whatever. And then all of a sudden you go to high school and you became in your mind, nothing, you became insignificant. That's the danger of this kind of comparison thinking is that I look back, I see something great. I look to today and I see something bad. And now this is what leads to the negative impact on your emotions and your thinking is because now you're in this, this Life is crappy. I don't like my circumstances. What I'm doing today isn't important. It isn't significant. And people aren't sitting around affirming me
1: yeah, and, and, and saying,
0: I'm, like, this is great. And these things, you're great. And man's approval isn't just all in your life. Like maybe it used to be.
1: Yeah. And what I was going to add to that is that you can be making assumptions about what other people are thinking of you. Oh, they couldn't, they couldn't possibly like me, they couldn't possibly see me as good. Because you don't see yourself that way. So another trap that can trip us up is if one spouse is pressuring the other to do more, to be more, to achieve more, the person who's feeling pressured is probably feeling like a failure or not good enough because their spouse is like, you're not, you need to do more.
0: Yeah. It's like a message of disapproval. Yeah. It's a message that the closest person in your life is telling you that you're not good enough. Or that you need to achieve more or that you do need to, you know, so a lot of spouse, so a lot of foster couples that they struggle with finances and they struggle with having the money that they need to actually support the kids. And they go into this thing and all of a sudden expenses are racking up and they don't have the support that they need. So that can lead to things like this. It's a, well, you know what, maybe you need to get out there and get a job now. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, I'm already, we're parenting. I'm
1: already taxed. You know, my skills are yeah.
0: out right of date. I don't have mm-hmm. a resume. I don't know anyone. I feel like I don't, ha- I don't have any contribution. But then I'm feeling this pressure from my spouse. And, and the money is real or the lack of it is real. And it's that, what am I going to do? And we, it's a, that's where a person can really start to feel stuck or feel, feel very much like a failure.
1: Yeah. Another trap is caring a lot about your spouse's opinion to the point that you allow it to shape your self-perception. I mean, I think we all care about our spouse's opinion. We love them. We want them to love us and and care about us. But we can take it too far where we're finding our identity in how they see us or how we assume they see us.
0: Yeah, this is where when we're not well-grounded in who we are and we don't have just great clarity on this, We can look to someone else's opinion as the measure. Or we can look to what we do as the measure. Or we can look to the type of job that we have as the measure. Or we can look to other friends' lives that that we think look better, sound better. And it's the measure. And all of that does is communicate that you're not good enough. And you're not significant. And you're not important. And then we start to believe this stuff. And these become the assumptions and the lies that we tell ourselves, not because it's just we're telling ourselves, it becomes our belief system.
1: Mm.
0: Well, then, what are your emotions that are going to be with that? Emotions of shame, emotions of sadness, emotions of depression. This is the importance of knowing your identity the importance of not finding it in these places, the importance of supporting each other and speaking truth into each other's lives as a married couple.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the the speaking the truth into each other's lives. It's it is really important and I think so often we don't we don't do as well with that as we should. Yeah. You know, I would or agree. as we could. So another trap is culture or societal expectations that are real or perceived. That leave you feeling insignificant or unworthy.
0: Yeah, this is another huge one where we're taking our cues from our culture, from our society, maybe even from your family culture of what's expected. And again, you're looking back to yourself and the times. These are traps we're talking about right now. And this is how we can hold ourselves back: is that we see that oh, I'm just I'm just not this parenting thing, or just even being married or not working is that's not good enough. Because I'm supposed to be at work, and I'm supposed to be contributing financially, or I'm supposed to have that job that I used to have. And we have a culture that wants to just say, oh my gosh, that's so amazing, and look at the contribution, and it values individualism. So another trap is controlling people in your life. Or maybe you have a controlling spouse that, whom you lack healthy boundaries with. Um, if you feel like you lack healthy boundaries in your life, Go back and listen. If you've not listened to the very in-depth, like two-part series we did on healthy boundaries, uh, go back and listen to that and keep listening to it to get more educated about healthy boundaries because it's one of the most important things we can have in our lives. And sadly, many of us need them in our in our marriage. And not even sadly. that's not necessarily a sad thing Some because sometimes healthy boundaries is just, you know what? No, I don't want to do that. And it's not this bad, a conflict thing, but that's an example of a healthy boundary. But point being, go back and listen to that. Because, you know, control is a thing that most people struggle with in some way, is trying to control people or controlling outcomes. And sometimes it's like, why is that so bad? Because controlling people at times want to set your reality, that you need to think like them or do what they do or what the expectation that they set for you is what you're supposed to hit. And if you don't, you're somehow a bad person. And yeah, then you get yeah. guilted, and so mm-hmm. on and so yeah.
1: forth. Yeah, well, that's really exactly what I was gonna say. I'm like, you can feel guilted, or like you're a disappointment, or you're a failure. You're letting somebody down. And the thing is, they're just crossing boundaries. And so, I mean, these controlling people, all all that control, I mean, it can lead to major people pleasing.
0: And- Yeah, before you go on, like, just that's a huge one, because I'm thinking about, You know, it's like the like if you are listening to this podcast, and you are a fostering person, that means you are probably a serving person, and you are probably a people pleaser, in some way. And if you dig back into your upbringing, your childhood, you're probably going to find insight into why you have learned to adapt yourself for people. And often, it's because we we grew up with a demanding or a controlling parent. That then heavily shaped us into, you have to adapt to conform to the expectations or the mood or the whatever of that controlling parent. Or you may come from very people-pleasing, lovely parents, and now you're that way as well. And there is this, well, you've got to get people, do what people want and get people to like you and be proper and be, and it actually puts you into a place of unhealth Because you're actually spending a lot of time people-pleasing. Yeah, you're
1: doing things to please other people and not because it's the thing that you are called to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is then people-pleasing, a people-pleaser plus a controlling person is a bad thing. This can become a very difficult relationship where then your identity basically becomes what that person says that you are. Or my air quotes, makes you feel even though we have to allow that influence to come in.
1: So with controlling people or rather people pleasing people, you know, you want to avoid the conflict. And so you think maybe that person will be nicer to me if I please them, or maybe they'll like me if I do this thing to please them. And so now I'm finding myself living out every decision or everything to please that person. But eventually I just start feeling bad about myself. I have a poor self-image because I'm not living what I'm called to live. I'm living what this person over here tells me to live.
0: Yeah. Often this leads to people that struggle with guilt a lot. Um, When I'm working with someone and the guilt is coming up and you can see it, um, I'll ask them often, we'll go back to what was childhood like? And did you have a controlling parent? And the answer is often yes. Yes. And it's like, how did they talk to us? Did they guilt you? And usually the answer is, yes, they were a guilting parent. And because what does it leave you as an adult? You now feel like you're hurting that person. Mm -hmm. That if you're not doing the thing they're asking or the request of you or whatever it may be, you now can often feel like you're hurting the person or that you're going to hurt them if you don't do this thing they're asking you to do. And it comes on quick. It's a trigger and the thinking and the emotion of, oh, I'm hurting you. Or it's a fear of hurting or disappointing the person. If that is you, you need to ask yourself and check yourself, is is the parent or the person in my life controlling? Mm -hmm. And that is why I'm responding this way. Because oftentimes you will discover that you are actually in a relationship with someone who struggles with control. This may be hitting very close to home because this may be you. If it is, this is something to work on. If you're married to this person, this is where communicating about it, finding counseling, talking through boundaries, that kind of thing is very, very important so that we can actually improve the communication and improve your marriage. Right now, we want to draw, again, we want to shed light and awareness on these on these kinds of things, these kinds of traps in the context of how it affects your identity.
1: Yeah, so we've talked about, you know, a lot of these different traps and how they can affect our identity. But let's talk a little bit about your spouse's opinion and how their care and their positive opinion, their support, how that can affect the other spouse in in their, their identity in a good way. So we did we touched on this briefly in the first part of this of this series. But um, support and caring of the spouse that's struggling with their identity is super important. Just being that listening ear, being there, being willing to help them is really important. And, And it serves that purpose of, okay, you see me, you see that I'm struggling. It's okay for me to get help or it's okay for me to work through this or figure it out.
0: Yeah, there is so much power in when a person sees is knows that they're seen, heard, understood. Some of us go to fix fix the problem. And that's and that's not what's needed. Sometimes your struggling spouse just needs to be seen and heard and understood and empathized with, and that actually ends up being more powerful than your advice.
1: Yeah. Well, and I I would say though that while I agree with that i also think that that's what opens the door for that spouse to be okay with getting help if they need that help
0: and you may be able to you may be able to offer that help
1: yeah possibly sometimes jumping right
0: to here's the advice in my opinion and the fix is
1: not the way you skip the step
0: (laughs) yeah because your spouse isn't in the right place to receive that information yeah this is this comes back to connection and bond that's why this is so important that when, when people are feeling connected, spiritually and emotionally, that often is the thing that says, now, okay, now spouse, speak into my life. Because some of us guys, are, and, and Mary Beth have been, and I have been there for a million examples of this, of the difficulty of speaking into each other's lives. Well, speaking into maybe very awkward wording for for you, if that like sounds weird, it's just giving your opinion, your advice, and your you know that your counsel. That sometimes it's like, oh, you know what, I just can't do that. I can't listen to my spouse. Mm-hmm. And I have to go talk to somebody else, but I can't do that in, in my marriage. That is a red flag, by the way. That is a thing that you need to be like. Why is that the case? Why are we at that place where we actually can't? give each other advice and opinion on things, that we have to go to somebody else who may share the same information. What is it about the dynamic in your marriage that that's not the culture of your marriage? That's not what we're talking about today. But while I was hitting on it, that's a thing to ponder and a thing to process on. That's like, it reminds me of a West Wing quote. That's a thought that's going to fester. That's a
1: thought that's going to fester.
0: <laughs> so another thing that we you can do to be supportive is is being accepting of who you are. This one was huge for me. Why is that?
1: Because when you valued me as a person, as your wife, not just as mom, although that was part of it, I felt more able and willing to accept myself, I think, and to accept my role of where I am here. Because it, it wasn't just like, oh, I am doing this good thing, and I, now I feel like I have to prove it. No, I was actually getting that value and that acceptance from you first.
0: Why was that as your spouse, like, why was that so important to you that, that that's what you received from me?
1: Without it, I think I had assumptions that I'm just a mom. I'm just this stay at home parent. And because I was already struggling with having left that former life behind I could go to those assumptions of this is how I view me. So this is how you probably view me too. And so getting that positive affirmation from you and that acceptance from you helped me go, wait a minute, I'm not just a mom. I'm not just this or that, you know, there, there is value.
0: So another one here is encouraging the person, encouraging your spouse to grow and improve, but not doing it in a controlling way is so incredibly important that it's not a demanding and telling or being condescending or just or whatever that may be it's encouraging them to grow and improve this it, the context is your spouse is struggling and being able to encourage them to to pursue personal growth to come out of that place yeah is not every marriage is at that place what I'm talking about, but if you are, this is a great step to take
1: yeah, I totally agree I love. The idea again of just that listening first, and then being there to offer the support to say, okay, let's let's help you get to a place where you are accepting of who you are, because who you are is not just anything.
0: Yeah, another step you can take is encouraging your spouse, um, encouraging them as a parent. and encouraging them and reminding them of the important work that they're doing we've talked a lot about that in this two-part series about having that perspective yeah but i think it's different when it's coming from your spouse especially if you've got great bond and there's great trust and love there of that person as opposed to Sally Clarkson in a book. You know, <laughs> yes. or in a group you're in that if yeah. your spouse is the one
1: yeah, absolutely. who's doing
0: that, there is a different level of power that comes in yeah. that, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are such great things of of being told whether it's a mom group you're in or I don't know. I mean, are there dad groups? There probably are. There are. Um, but it's it's great to get that feedback or that, that messaging, if you will, from other people. But the person that you're closest with the person that, you know, you have committed your life to and devoted your life to for that person to be like, what you're doing matters is, man, that, that's just like next level.
0: And lastly, here, another step you can take is encouraging breaks and replenishment time. This has been huge for you mm-hmm. and w- why don't you share like what's your experience been with that?
1: Well, honestly, for me, again, we talked about this in the first part of the of the episode where when you are that stay at home parent and your identity starts to become this is who I am because this is where I spend twenty four seven you need to step out of that so it's not twenty four seven you know so that you have a little bit of a break and you know, how can you make that happen, whether it's during the day with rest times, or, you know, you go and read for, you know, everybody's going to read for an hour, or is it a date night, or whatever it is, get stepping out of your role as parent, and having that time to replenish yourself. I think that for me, that was where I was able to go, okay, this is important work, and step out of those like Mundane tasks that happen all the time.
0: Yeah. So, those are ways that you can support and encourage your spouse. Um, coming to the last topic of this episode that we're going to hang out with here for a little bit is just the idea of identity and communication. In other words, it's like based on your self perception, how does it shape how you communicate, especially in conflict communication when you're triggered and emotions are running high? That there's a lot of identity that's informing what you're choosing to say and how you're choosing to act that a lot of people often don't see until we're, until we're shown it. So, for instance, like in an argument, sometimes people will communicate from a place of defending who they see themselves as or even sometimes how they want someone else to see them. So, for example, like in an argument or a fight, that we say things like, you know what, I'm just trying to get you to see, insert positive thing about yourself or your intent. That there will be this eventually, this bat this back and forth fight and argument, and then you'll hear someone say something that's an identity statement. It's a, I'm just trying to get you to understand, and it's something to do with how you see yourself. Yeah. Because the problem is, you're experiencing your spouse is you don't see me. Yeah. And you don't understand me. And you are fighting so hard to get them, while you're yelling at them, though, (laughs) trying to get them to see who you are. You
1: just have to see. Well, because if you're not seen or heard, you feel misunderstood. You feel alone, Just angry. Angry. Yeah, all those things. And so, yes, you do want to be heard. Yelling at people may not be the... Way to go! Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, that moment
0: you're out of control. You're triggered. Yeah. yeah, and you are the stress response is in your body. Yeah, and now you're not in operating in self control. Yeah, you're letting it rip. Yeah, because you're letting your spouse have it. But there's also listen to your vocabulary closely. Listen to the things that you may habitually say at some point in the argument because it can be a you're starting on a topic, and then there's topic, and then there's. Hey, are you even are you listening to me right now? Are you even listening? Yeah, I'm listening. It's like, I'm standing right here. Oh, it's like, oh, here we go. And then here, here the train is coming off the rails. Now we're no longer talking about where do we want to go for dinner. Now we're being accusatory and attacking one another. And this is where you'll start to hear the very personal identity stuff start to come out of people trying to shape the other's perception on don't you understand and see where I'm at? Or don't you understand who I am as a person or as your spouse because it's gotten so personal and accusational in the conversation?
1: Well, another thing that people do is that they subtly or maybe not so subtly share things that are meant to make themselves look good to somebody else. So this is one of those things where finding worth and significant in people's opinions of us and how it makes us feel better about ourselves is is what we're going for.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Some of us are very direct about things like this and self-promotional because we want to leave no room for error. It's like, <laughs> you will perceive me how I am. Others of us are very subtle and crafty. Um, there was this time, this, I was, I was, this reminds me um, of this time, because I teach this story a lot in other contexts, where I was in college um, and I'm a very high-eye personality. So I'm all about people and people's opinions and people pleaser and all that kind of stuff. And man's opinion matters immensely to me and, and makes me feel significant. So I'm back in college 20-something years ago, and we're sitting at this Mexican restaurant. Uh, with, I'm with my peers, and there's a lot of them. And I had received something, some thing, some small scholarship or award or something um, back then, and it was done in private. Well, to a high eye, um, people-pleasing or affirmation-seeking Joel giving me an award in private isn't good enough. (laughs) So I'm like, well, I've I've got to to bring some light to this thing. So I'm sitting there and probably 8 to 10, 12 people sitting around on on the patio of this Mexican restaurant um, near Middle, Middle Tennessee State University. And I like oh so unskilledly weave into the conversation that I had received this thing. And I, I'm i not a very good knitter, y'all. And I did not knit this very well. It's and just better if
1: people find out on their own. It's, it's, <laughs> seriously. Exactly.
0: There's another West Wing reference for those who track those references in our podcast. Um, it sounds a lot cooler if you just let people find <laughs> out on their it own. Is. Well, I can't leave that to chance. That's risk for me, for people. Oh, the year later. Oh, I've heard you learned you got this thing. How great and wonderful. And then, wow, that's wonderful that you found that out. How cool? Yes, it is. It is cooler, and it even comes with more affirmation. <laughs> but I'm, I can't leave it to chance, and so I knit this thing into the conversation. And again, I'm a bad knitter and quilter. And then one of my high D peers, high dominant peers, sees it, and she calls me out in front of everyone on what I just did. Well, being a high I, now how am I feeling? Embarrassed like an idiot, I look like a fool in front of everyone, and I don't remember how I responded. But I—I I already know. I remember feeling like Joel, you just got caught, dude. You just got called out in front of everybody, and now here comes the guilt, of feeling and the shame of what I've done, because it was my ulterior motive. I knew what I was doing, and it got—it was seen, and so it was a. What was my identity in that moment? My identity, what the pursuit was, look how amazing I am and look at this thing that I want. And then because of what happened, my identity shifted to a one of shame and one of you're, you now failed and you were a fool for doing what you tried to do. And it all hinges, all my identity and, and sense of worth in that moment hinged on what? People's opinion of me. And when it hinges, when our identity and our worth hinges on people's approval or opinion, we are going to get hurt. And the only person that we can blame is ourselves. when we're seeking it in that kind of a way. That was bad on me to do something like that. It was bad. It was immature and it was poor. And we could do this all through our adult lives where we care so much about what other people think and that it, 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 that's what defines And gives us feedback on that's who we are. The thing is, sitting there at that Mexican restaurant, I had an identity of being something that I'm successful and I'm smart and I won this thing. And look at that. That's all this prideful identity that I was struggling with. What I was seeking was pour sugar on that, make my self perception even more egotistical and arrogant. That's what I was after. That's what I'm seeking in that moment. The thing is, all of that roots in one thing, insecurity. Every bit of it was insecurity. And that is where ego and pride springs from. When we're doing things like I did, when I'm just being such an idiot in that way, it's because of insecurity that I'm carrying around. And that's, eno- that's, that's even the deeper part of this identity of, uh, because I'm not feeling good enough, and then I'm focusing too much on me, and then I've got this ego and pride issue, because I need people to see me in this way, that sets the stage for me to do what I did. And look what happened. I got slammed. And now I come back to that insecure shame identity that just hurts. And who did the hurting? Not my peer. Yourself. I hurt myself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the question is, you know, why don't we feel okay about ourselves and good about ourselves without other people's opinions or affirmations?
0: Yeah. And that's why we're talking about this today is to get to it's why don't we? Yeah. Why aren't we just okay with ourselves? It seems like at times this is an endless battle of no matter where we're at in our life. It's why don't we feel better about ourselves? And because you know what? we're complicated, we're complex, and we, we think all the stuff that we've covered in this two-part episode that confuses our sense of identity. And then we're left with this like I don't know who I am, or I think I know who I am, and I need people to build that up. But then there's risk involved in that too. Because again, I, I had this identity of I'm smart and successful as a student. I need everybody to know that. Yeah. And here's one more reason about why I'm that. Why is it not okay? that i just know that why isn't why isn't it good enough because i find too much significance and worth in other people's opinions that's why it's not good enough it can't stay private i have to boast about it but what also does it show is it shows my insecurity that's what it reveals and then which begs the question why the insecurity why don't you feel more secure about yourself and this gets into Upbringing, what you've experienced in your life, stuff that's chipped away at you, where you have um, shame in your life and embarrassment, and the things that you've done, and all the stuff that just amounts to brokenness as people. That as a as a person, as a a Christian faith, that we have this faith in this future, that well, sometime is that God's going to take care of this, and we're not going to struggle with this stuff anymore, and we're not going to struggle with identity crises. We're not going to struggle with insecurity. We're not going to struggle with brokenness. And that is the hope that we're looking for, is our future life, is that not in this life. Is right now we're going to operate in this flesh, you know, that loses its hair and puts on weight and can't run fast anymore and forget stuff. And it's like, ah, it's all the struggles of life or the awful things of life, of disease um, or um, imprisonment or trauma or... We, we, we live with brokenness, and that's why it's so hard to thread the needle on just resting in what, who we are in a healthy identity, and then it say, well what is that? what is that? And what does that even look like? So on that topic, that this is what, what we have to offer you is that there is freedom found in self-forgetfulness. What, Joel, what the heck are you talking about? Self-forgetfulness, that, that just sounds terrible, and that sounds awful. Hang with me, and hang with us, and listen to this for a moment. We often, as people, carry identities of, you ask most people, and mo- most people will tell you that, yep, I think I'm a good person. Some people that have experienced enough bad stuff in their life will tell you that, no, I actually don't think I'm a good person, because they live with an identity filled with shame. And that person needs a lot of healing um, and they need a lot of help. But either way you slice it, just because you operate with an identity of, I think I'm a good person, that there can be downsides to that. And so go back to my example. I thought I was a good person. I serve people. I'm smart. I worked hard in school. I'm studious. I'm successful. But you know what? It wasn't good enough because I held that identity. But also I needed people to pour sugar on it and to reinforce it, and to make sure that they see it, that, look, I'm good, I'm smart, I'm successful. Don't you think so, too? So that's where it's like it doesn't work for us all the time, of just sitting with this, I'm a good person identity. But then we go to the bad identity of the shame-filled identity, and that's the more obvious one, that people are like, well, of course that doesn't work out for you. It leaves you feeling horrible about yourself, and you, you know, you're living in, in shame and living in embarrassment and living in such a deep sense of unworthiness. And of course, that one's not going to work. But sometimes neither of them work. Good or bad held identities don't work. And so what I have learned, and many people have learned as well, and we tend to learn these things as we get older, is that we take ourselves less seriously. And we look at ourselves as being like, you know what? Eh, whatever. I'm just me. I'm just okay. I'm just this, I'm just that. And I'm not saying from a sense of pity and I'm not communicating this from a sense of unworthiness. It's a sense of just deep humility and humbleness that we all probably know people in our life that are like this, that you will see their acts or their works and you will be like, that's amazing. And they just kind of brush it off of just like a, eh, as if they carry an identity of, eh, I'm just an okay person. But there is so much emotional health and freedom that can be found in losing self-focus. And so this is this whole pursuit of selflessness and less selfishness that is arguably one of the hardest things to do and to master in our lives, because it also requires a shedding of ego and pride. Mm -hmm. Sitting there at that Mexican restaurant, I'm full of it. I'm full of ego and pride. I'm nowhere near self-forgetfulness or selflessness. I'm all about Joel in that place. And my identity is one that that this is what it looks like, Mary Beth, and you need to see that too Mm -hmm. so that it makes me feel better about myself. Because really deeper beyond that, I don't feel good enough and I feel insecure. But I can't let you know that. But there's also part of me, again, that legitimately feels successful and smart and that's how I see myself. And again, dang it, everyone else needs to see that as well. And then it's, it's, it is a trap that we can fall into, where we can get to this place of greater self-awareness, of realizing where do we have ego and where do we have pride? Where are we not as selfless and serving as we could be? And it's helpful to look out or even to look at other people that are that way to give you feedback on where we're not that way. So that we can improve, if we choose to, so that we can become more selfless people, more surrendered, more submitted to our circumstances, rather than like you talked about before, you know, Mary Beth, about fighting. Yeah. Fighting and trying to, for this, because you're in this new place and new life. Yeah. And you're fighting up against it, where we become more submitted, surrendered, adaptable people that operate in all kinds of different circumstances with less struggle. You may not all get all the way there yeah. to where you're without struggle. But the goal you think is you can to move
1: forward. Yeah, the goal is to just get to, is to step forward one step at a time.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's pretty cliche to say it, but it's like it's the journey. Yeah. You know, it's like it's the journey that we're on. Because again, this is not an easy thing that we're talking about. This is incredibly difficult. And it's like I'm nowhere near where I would love to be in terms of selflessness. But it's sure something that I'm focusing on that I'm working on. So contentment and health can be found in neither in holding an identity of I'm a good person or a bad person. I'm significant or insignificant. But in not focusing on self so much, period, and focusing on other people. Yeah. To where whether it's good or bad, who's the focus on? You, me. That's the fundamental problem. Right. That leads us into lots of mental and emotional health issues. That it is the the plague and the disease of self-focus is oftentimes is the thing that's just killing us. And we can see where we're doing that. And then we can, we can do so much better as people. Like, this is the thing. When I was a kid, I was always really, even fascinated as a little boy, watching parents of kids that had Down syndrome. Because I always, I've looked at the circumstances, and I saw that, wow, these are parents with a child of Downs. These are adults that are probably going to outlive their child, and they know it. And look at the circumstances that they're dealing with. And the thing that struck me about watching the parents was how peaceful and calm they always were when I saw them. And I didn't understand it. Now at 44 years old with more life experience and learning about stuff, life, people more, that I get it now. I get it more. What I'm seeing and what I witnessed as a little boy was a level of... Of surrender and submission to their circumstances, and they sat in such peace. When you looked and saw their circumstances, and without being knowledgeable, you would judge it and think, "I don't understand how you can be so content and seem so content when you know that you're probably going to outlive your child." But look at how you look at how you look at your spirit and look at your energy. It always struck me. So again, this is such a difficult thing, and we do not proclaim to have this down at all. We've just benefited from this perspective, so we wanted to share it with you all as well. But this can be monumentally challenging for most of us, not even some of us, but for most of us. So to share another really quick story is that I remember when, when you brought up the whole idea of adoption, and you brought it up in a more serious way. That when you brought it up and I knew you were more serious, I felt in my flesh my selfishness. I felt it come up. And my selfishness said, you don't want to do this. Fear said, you need to protect and preserve yourself and your lifestyle. That's too risky. You don't want to do this. This is going to be opting into difficulty, uncertainty, and bad stuff potentially. You don't want to do this. So many of us make decisions based on that stuff right there. And sometimes we think we're doing the right thing. And sometimes I think we do the wrong thing. Because our brain and our body, in its, in its basic instincts, say, that's pain, avoid it. That's uncertainty, avoid it. That's something, don't do that. Or you have people in your life that will come around you and say, don't do that, you're throwing your life away. And your flesh would agree with that. But what does your higher ability of thinking say? And where does your summoning of your selflessness say? It probably says, because you're on this journey, it said at some point, do it. Even though it's going to hurt. Even though it's uncertain. We need to do it anyway. Many of us feel called to do this. And that we feel called to do this work. Because some of us from our faith feel called by God to do this kind of work many of us are called feel called to do this because we feel it's the right thing to do for humanity and it is these are the right things to do but this we have to summon this ability of selflessness and this is why we wanted to cover this portion of this two-part series because we get into identity and our how we see ourselves and the identities that we are trying to have matters immensely to this journey that we're on in marriage and this journey that we're on in fostering. So we have to practice not focusing on self because the way that we're made and built says the opposite. It says to focus on it. Our culture says to focus on it. We're trained to focus on ourselves. Therefore we have to practice not focusing on ourselves and having an identity of self-absorption or an identity that is just too focused on ourselves
1: author rick warren said true humility is not thinking less of yourself it is thinking of yourself less
0: yeah that's such a great quote even though c.s lewis said I it,
1: no c.s lewis did not that's what i thought and I felt very I let down when I found out. But I, it's I okay. feel
0: better about my identity <laughs> thinking that C.S. Lewis said it. I just have this romantic view of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> uh, I'll, the, I'll get the, over my the, disappointment. ends in, in, in an incredibly heavy podcast episode um, that's probably, hopefully, leaving a lot of thoughts that are going to fester <laughs> and that we're all processing on uh, with a little bit of humor. Um, so. Guys, hopefully you've enjoyed this two-part series. Um, We've covered an immense amount of ground, uh, and as always, we hope it's been beneficial and helpful to you. If you enjoy uh, the Fostering Marriage Podcast, rate and review it wherever you listen. It helps other fostering families find it, and follow us, as always, on Facebook. We hope this has been helpful for you. Join us on the next episode of the Fostering Marriage Podcast.